Well, uh, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. If um, you have a Bible or grab a Red Pew Bible, you can go to John chapter 4. That is page 1052 in the New Testament, about four books. And last week was Ascension Sunday. And this week is Pentecost Sunday. We are currently in a series entitled People Together with God, and we're kicking off this series, the the first half, by taking a deeper look at what it means to be with God and the four values of, of rest, of work, worship, and prayer. And this week, we are looking at worship from John chapter 4. The story really, it is a, it's a great story. It's, a, it, it's uh, one, of my, one of my favorites of Jesus's in the Gospels. It's a story ultimately about who God is seeking to worship him. It's a story about how Jesus, the God-man, showed us his pursuit of people whom that he desired to reveal to himself Uh, reveal himself to them, excuse me, and it serves as uh, instructive in many ways for us today. We will uh, will see this morning. For those this morning who are here, uh, maybe seeking questions about Jesus, have questions about faith, maybe you question your own faith, but you're here because you're asking questions. There's a lot for you here, and I'm thankful that you were here this morning. For those who have been walking faithfully with Christ for some time, there is a lot in this story for you as well. The question that we're wrestling with this morning is, who is God seeking to worship him? Are there prerequisites for those whom he is seeking to worship him before they engage? Does he require anything of us to become worshipers of God? What does it mean to be worshipers of God? How do we worship him? All these kind of questions. Jesus, he engages here in this story. So to set up, because we're jumping in in the fourth uh, chapter here in the gospel, this is pretty early on in Jesus's ministry. In John's gospel, Jesus, he had already been baptized. He already turned, you know, water into wine. He had a a midnight meeting with a Pharisee uh, and explained what it means to be born again. And here, if we, you know, you'll see this morning, if you kind of really look at the story, he scandalously, like this is a scandalous story, sits with a woman and shares the good news with her. Let's look at this in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who, was bapt- who, who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus here, is, he, he's, he's going back to Galilee. That's in north Israel. Uh, he needed to pass through a place called Samaria, and specifically a town in Samaria, Sychar, where uh, tradition says Jacob's well was. We don't have that in our scriptures, but tradition 
uh, of the time said that the well that was there, Jacob, if you read his story in Genesis, that he's the one who dug it. Jacob's basically like, the, he's the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Pretty important figure in Israel's history. So at this time, um, Samaritans and Jews were f- pretty famous, famously not friends. They were not allies. They were even enemies and opposed to one another. How that story goes, uh, centuries before, when the northern kingdom of Israel was kicked out of the land and exiled by the Assyrians, the Assyrians left some Jews in the land to be farmers and to to, to care for the land. Now, um, uh, left some Jews there, and so the Assyrians who came in to move there and the Jews who stayed, they got married and they had children. And as time went by and the, the Jews returned to the land, here was this kind of half breed, if you will, half racially mixed Jew and Assyrian. And the Assyrians were the enemies of Israel. I mean, they're the ones who took out the northern kingdom. So the Jews returning said, you guys are you're not really a part of us anymore. You're, you're kind of this unclean half breed here. So you're, we're going to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, but you're not, you're not really welcome to be in it. Like you guys have officially kind of ousted yourself out of the community of Israel. As time went on, tensions were so high, about 100 years before Jesus, a Jewish leader actually destroyed a temple that was built in Samaria because the Samaritans came up with their own kind of system of how they worshiped God, understood God, built their own temple, changed a few things in the scriptures to justify their moves here. And um, it, it was basically another sect of Judaism and they didn't like each other. All right, they didn't agree with one another, and that's what's important. They had different beliefs about what the Bible says, similar to a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness of Christianity. It's kind of a similar thing in some ways. So here's Jesus as a Jew himself in Samaria. Now that was scandalous to begin with. Like Jews just didn't do that. They're the icky people. No, you don't go interact with them. Well, Jesus stops there, and even more so, There's a woman walking up by herself to the well. And it was noon. It was the sixth hour. The sun's directly overhead. And we'll talk about why this was a crazy thing that was going on. In verse 7, okay, um, the disciples were sent to the city to get food. Jesus is by himself. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone in town to buy food. So check it out. Here's the situation. Jesus is by himself. A Samaritan woman at the heat of the day at noon comes to draw water and she is by herself. You may be thinking, okay, what's the big deal? Well, we have to go back in time. If you were alive in those days and you didn't have a faucet to, you know, turn on in your house, you had to go to the well. Um, It was a lot of work hauling water back to your home. When would be a good time to do that? Not noon. That's the hot time. You wake up early and you get the job done early, right? When it's cool and you won't be out there passing out in the heat. Women in this period, they never went alone. They went together to assist and to just to be with one another and went in groups early in the morning. And so she's alone at noon coming up by herself. If you were a Jewish, you know, a male in this period you immediately recognize this, this woman lost friends here. The women of the community did not want to be identified with this one. 
She was by herself because nobody wanted to be associated with her. Because, as we'll see, there's some reasons why that was the case. That's why she came by herself at noon, because she was also kind of trying to hide from the rest of the community as well, to come out when nobody else would be there. Except she finds a guy who was alone there with her. Now, um, Jesus was willing to sit alone with her, okay? And as we're going to learn, this woman was a, how can I say it, morally promiscuous person, okay? So there's a lot of rules, cultural rules being broken. Jewish men don't sit with women alone in the middle of the day as well, especially the morally promiscuous ones that have that kind of reputation who have been ousted from community. But here's Jesus doing this, okay? This is a remarkable thing. And of course, he knows exactly what he's doing because he knows that she is searching, that she is in need, that she is aware of these things, that she's hungry. And he knows what's inside, what's going on, and he's willing, at his own sake of his own reputation, what will people think, Jesus, if they see you alone with this woman alone? Like, Jesus, there's a lot at stake here with your reputation. He knows that, and he doesn't care. Because we're going to see what's going on here. So they sit down to have a conversation, and he asks for, for a drink. What's going to emerge here is a fascinating conversation between a woman who has a lot of questions, who has some understanding of who God is, with some questions built around there. Um, she's searching herself, right? And she's obviously, in a, we're going to see in her lifestyle, she's been grasping at straws to find meaning. She's been looking here and looking there to fill some voids in their own hearts. And Jesus, knowing her void and knowing her searching heart, he takes the time at this massive risk of his own reputation to engage her on the deepest heart level that he can, right? Um, Take note here. If you track with the Gospels, Jesus seems to favor those who are broken, those who the Bible identifies as sinners. He seems to pursue these people, Commonly, like this, is, this is pretty standard kind of work here for Jesus, all right? Um, this is normal for him because he knows the people who are in need. It's often the religious people that come with all these kind of questions end up rejecting him while people like this woman come and he's like, yeah, she's going to get it because she, she knows her need, right? But in the way he does so here, as we're going to see, he sits with her and has a kind and gracious and truthful conversation with her and she's bringing baggage like her baggage is it's a big suitcase like it's a big one right and she's hauled it up with her so some questions just from the very beginning here Christian churches congregations just like ours we also need to make sure we are hospitable that we are gracious and that we are a welcoming place for people who walk in with big old suitcases full of a whole lot of baggage that they're just looking for somebody to take time to be an ear as they have questions, as they're searching for hope and trying to find answers. They've been looking in a lot of wrong places and they're here looking. Are we going to be a place where we can be gracious to them and welcoming and loving, not just by our words, but also our deeds. Jesus sets up the example here for us in doing so. So as we continue on, as this woman is searching and beginning to inquire, 
Who is this guy? Why is he alone, right? Why is he asking a Samaritan woman for a drink? We're going to see here in verse 9. And Jesus starts addressing what might be considered some barriers for people like her. Some barriers between God and her. And he starts kind of working through them one by one. So verse 9 says, A Samaritan woman said to him, So you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And here's a little note here. Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him if he would have living, given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water... They're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So this whole section here begins with this racial barrier. There's a racial barrier here. A Jewish man asks a Samaritan woman for a drink. And she says, you're, you're not who I am. You're not part of my people. You're a different people, but we don't like each other. Why, why are you doing this, right? So Jesus initially, he, he responds. Like he takes this directly, and he kind of gently steers the conversation. And he'll address this barrier continually on. He basically says... Ah, that, that question is not so important right now because you don't know who I am, right? We'll come back to that, you know, kind of put that over here for a minute. But the real question is you, you don't know who, me, who I am. Because if you knew the gift of God that's being offered to you and you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for water. Yeah, I asked you for water, but if you, if you kind of knew who I am and what God would love to give you today, what gift he has for you, you'd be asking me for living water now let's be real, all right? If you were this woman and you were sitting down and you got this response from somebody, you, you'd probably be like, that's weird. Like, what? What are you talking about right now? Like, who are you, living water? This is a strange guy. This dude's a little interesting. The str- I don't know if you ever had like a conversation with somebody that's like a stranger and you just, you know, kind of know what's going on. You're like, huh, this is an interesting person. I don't really know what's going on right now. Has that happened to you before? Is that just me? That's probably kind of like what's going on with her. She's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about right now. Like, this is, this is an interesting response. So she says, all right, so let's, let's work through this here. First off, you don't have anything to get water from the well, but are, are you greater than Jacob who has some kind of better water than this? And she's probably kind of making fun of him, like a little jest here, kind of mocking him a little bit, saying like, I guess you're greater than Jacob. You have better water than Jacob gave us out of this well. That's funny, ha, 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 kind of thing. But Jesus gets specific. He says, look, you're, the conversation's bigger. I'm talking about spiritual water. I'm talking about a well, a, diff, a gift from God that can bring about a well, a spring within you that will be welling up to eternal 
life. I've said it numerous times. When it says eternal life here, yeah, there's some of the future, you know, uh, forever kind of uh, connotations here, life forever um, with God, but it's present. Like eternal life now, eternal life today, eternal life here, right now. There's a gift that's being offered to you right now that can cause the best of life, the the heavenly life, that's what the eternal life is pointing towards, that can be welling up within you now. That's the gift being offered to you. Now, apparently Jesus, you know, he, he plows through this racial barrier. Um, a Samaritan didn't bother him, right? He doesn't seem to be shaken whatsoever by these cultural rules around him. And just a little note here. Um, it, it's, I think it's wonderful how he just, just kind of blows off those cultural norms. And I, I think we have to, just a little side note here. It can be uncomfortable and awkward. We live in an extremely diverse county, Newcastle County. There are a lot of various cultures and ethnicities represented around us. When I take my kids to a playground, I mean, I hear multiple languages uh, being spoken commonly around, right? It can feel awkward to kind of step into somebody else's life that may not be your shared culture, or even sometimes some language barrier. A person may have broken English, and it's a little tough to communicate to. It can be uncomfortable to step into that, but we have to realize that God wants to make himself known to all peoples, and just maybe he's called you to do that with somebody that it may be quite difficult to enter into their world, to enter into their culture and their life and their perspective and how they understand things, but we're ambassadors to all people here. So let's take note here. Let's not not let that be a barrier for you and I. Let's take that risk for all peoples that God may send into our path and seek to steer conversations to be about the good news of Jesus Christ and do the work that may be in front of us like Jesus is doing here. And so at the end of this segment, she may be even little confusingly, right? She says, okay, so you get water for me, great. I'm not gonna be thirsty again, sure, give me that water. It might be sarcasm, we don't quite know, right? But he goes straight for the hard conversation here. Like he goes straight to the really difficult stuff with her. She's obviously kind of searching. She's interested. She's like, I don't know. Yeah, gift of God, cool. Verse 16, he goes right for it. He says, he told her, go and call your husband and then come back. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Then Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband because you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is just quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. He cunningly drives her to admit that currently she has no husband. And um, the whole reality that kind of comes from this is we don't know why she had five husbands, but if she's with somebody now that looks like just another guy, just like the rest were, that men have been cycling through her life for quite some time, not once, not twice, not three, not four, five times. This is probably why her community said, we're, we're going to kind of put you over here and we're not going to be associated with you because we don't want your reputation to be our reputation. This is very, uh, 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 um, can we say, conservative cultural times when these, these actions were not widely accepted and it was normal to kind of make break in relationship and to kind of put them away lest you're guilty by association. 
That's why the woman was here alone. But again, her race didn't keep her from talking with Christ. Her immorality did not keep Jesus from offering her the water of life, salvation, eternal life, right? But his offer didn't just come with grace. There's some truth here. He wanted to address her brokenness. He said, you have to look at what you're, like, what are you looking for in all of these relationships? Like, what, what are you seeking? This is kind of the question that's lurking beneath this, right? He's like, I, I know you're searching for something. That's what he's really saying. Your, your life is a bit chaotic. Like, you, you have some, some chaos in your life. What are you looking for? That's the question that's lurking kind of between the lines here. Friends, we can't use our Bibles as hammers, right? He doesn't get, you know, some, some uh, law from Scripture and just start whacking her over the head with it, right? He graciously lets the truth surface and then just kind of drops it, and he's just like, what do you have to say now? Like, what's your response to this? What, do you, what are you looking for? Grace and truth, Jesus as the master teacher. Friends, don't ever use your Bible as a hammer to knock people upside the head with, right? Be gracious, but be truthful. But learn to navigate with wisdom and grace as we bring the good news to others. And be willing to address the uncomfortable things. We need to be willing to address the uncomfortable things in those around us who are seeking because beneath people's sin, beneath our own sin, there's always some void that we're trying to stuff and to fill. There's some false God, there's some counterfeit God, there's something that we're looking for and Jesus is not there. Whether it's a Christian or it's a seeker, somebody who is just interested or somebody following Christ their whole life, if they're out there engaging some chaotic decisions in life, they're trying to fill something not with Christ. And we need to point that out graciously and say, what are you looking for? Because there's something better. There is something far superior that can actually bring you this well that will just continually satisfy you, right? But rather than facing that conversation, this woman, rather than going there, she deflects. She's like, I don't know, I'm not willing to go to that yet. So she goes here in verse 20, she goes to being suddenly the religious person, right? She puts on the religious cap, verse 20. She goes, well, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place you must worship is in Jerusalem. Back to the Jews Samaritan thing, a little bit of religious kind of difference here. She goes, you know, our, our new Bible that they kind of messed and altered with over the centuries, she said, we, you know, we have our mountain, and that's where God is in Samaria. You say he's in Jerusalem, we're right, and you're obviously wrong, and apparently you're a, you're a prophet, right? So, but I thought we were right. She's probably a little confused, thinking only Samaritans can have the true prophets, because we have the true words of God. So, I'm not buying what you're saying. I'm kind of going to just block you out. We got this figured out. I don't need you Jews that tell me what to do. So boom, she tried to put up that guardrail, that, that barrier and just start maybe walking away, right? But Jesus doesn't stop. He says in verse 21, believe me, woman, believe me. He kind of like gets her attention. He's like, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. And he kind of does correct her, brings truth. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. 
right? He says, you're not right. Samaritans, you know, what you guys believe is not correct, blah, blah, blah. But all that stuff at the end of the day, it's not about this mountain. It's not about Jerusalem. It's not about God's over here or God is over there. And you have to go to the right place to find him. He goes, there's a, a greater time is coming where that, that question is going to become irrelevant. And here's where the tide shifts and it turns as he squashes that religious conversation. I often find Christians do this, like a lot, when I address a hard conversation with somebody. And suddenly they have some theological debate that they want to kind of bring up to tell me why I'm wrong about something I just said. And well, the Bible really says this, and blah, 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 blah. It's just like, stop the theological mumbo jumbo for a minute. You can even repent. That, that's what I'm saying here. Stop with the religious front here. That's just a, another defensive mechanism to not, not let Christ have all of you. It's just another mechanism to say, not, not right there. There's a reason why you can't call me out. So, I mean, so many times I've done this in, in ministry and people just like leave the church because they just don't want to be confronted and they have theological reasons why, you know, they're right and I'm wrong. I've seen it time and time again. Squash the religious nonsense there okay and just the simple question is Jesus wants all of you like he wants all of you it's not about this not about that not about this nuanced debate here or there he wants you he wants you are you his if you're not you got to turn from whatever is keeping you from being his it's as simple as that in verse 23 he goes on, he says, a time is coming, talking to the woman here. And this is where our text is ultimately today. It's been kind of pointing towards this moment right here. Yet a time is coming and has come now when true worshipers who will worship the Father, sorry, yeah, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and and in truth. When is this time coming? It's already came, that's what Jesus says, right? True worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. Truthful and spirit-empowered worshipers are whom the Father seeks. This is because God the Father himself is spirit, and so there's a time coming when he's going to reveal himself very soon and already happening, says Jesus, when this, this, this well of water, which is in God, John's gospel, is a reference to the Spirit of God is coming to start appearing and welling up within all people who seek him. This is a time that is coming and is characterized by worshipers of spirit and worshipers of, that are also in truth. So what exactly does this mean? I'm going to look to Ezekiel 36, 30, uh, 25 through 27, because this is written centuries before this, and this is what Jesus is referring to here. In verse 25, from the prophet Ezekiel, he says, I will, uh, this is God speaking through Ezekiel, looking at a future time, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all of your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Spirit 
and truth. Spirit within that leads us to walk in his truth. So here is the truth that God is only found through Christ and sin and our blemishes and faults that separates us from God the Father. It was Jesus that was offering her the water, the spirit, because God revealed himself to the world by becoming a man, carving out the path to God, and by dying on the cross to forgive us and cleanse us. And yet he rose from the dead, supernaturally giving life to his dead body. When someone is seeking after God, they can only find the truth of who God is through Jesus and through the revelation that the Spirit provides to open our eyes to the truth that Jesus loves you and that he's real. Now, the people that God is seeking, and this is the important part here, right? There's no, all the barriers, like I I grew up in a very religious place, the, the deep south, where there was this teaching of like you have to be a certain kind of person to worship God. Or even, you know, here's these, here's these rules and all this thing. You have to kind of appear a certain way in order to, to walk in worship of God. And Jesus is saying, woman, you, you need his spirit. And I'm, I, there's a gift that you need and God actually wants to give it to you. Like, yes, you need right belief, but there's a, a, a gift that he wants to just lavish you on and it continues on in verse 25 the woman actually says at this point she just starts to shut it down she goes I know that Messiah called Christ is coming when he comes he will explain everything to us and then Jesus declared I who speak to you am he Jesus says it's me like it's me all this is about me don't you see like it's me that I'm talking about just then verse 27 his disciples returned They were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving the jar of water, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? The disciples walk up, surprised, right, to find him, but they didn't ask questions. And the woman's response is really, this is is great, right? She meets Jesus, she hears all these things, what is her response? Is to tell others, right? She runs, she's like, I cannot, guys, this is crazy, you won't believe it, what just happened? Like, you guys gotta meet this guy, like, come and and meet this guy. I don't know if you ever had, like, either at conversion, when you become a Christian, or later in your Christian life, right, when you have an actual encounter with God. Like this is an encounter with God that she walks away from and she's different, right? Now again, she has a big suitcase that she hauled up to that well with a lot of messy baggage in it. And it said that God is seeking worshipers for himself. It looks like he's seeking a person just like this woman, right? He wants her. He says, I'm, and Jesus says like, I am the Christ God is after you and he's offering, extending this gift to you. And her first response is, everyone come and see. Come and see this Jesus who told me everything about me. That's what she says, right? Come and see the presence of the Spirit of God causes us to change and to worship. Because the Spirit of God is the presence of God. And nobody sits in the presence of God the same. You don't stay there with God and, be, and stay the same person. He wants to give you that soft 
heart of baby flesh. And he wants to just hammer and destroy that heart of stone and to change you and to and cause you to walk in the truth of who he is by the help and power of the spirit. And that's when, when that happens in our life, our instant response, because God is, he's so big, he's so much bigger than something that even we can contain, that our first response, when those moments come, when either for the first time or all over again for the 50th time, we have that encounter with God, we see his bigness, we realize I am not enough to attribute this, this, this worship to God. I need other people to see what I'm seeing. So everybody come and see. Like, he needs more to come and see this. It's so big, others have to see. Come and see how big my God is. This is the day of Pentecost, and if you look at Acts chapter 7, when that day happened, look at the response of the first ones who received the Spirit of God. Beginning of verse 7, and they were amazed and they were astonished, right, as the Spirit of God was falling, and they were, they were preaching in different languages from this, this upper room, and this crowd was gathered just saying, like, what is going on? And listen, it says, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? The Holy Spirit came down and was causing him to do this. This was a supernatural event. They said, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, etc., and so forth. Uh, verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. What happened when the Spirit fell on these early disciples and they were just shouting out in these languages? What were they shouting? Well, they were like, we're having fun up here. This is great. Like, no. Like, what were they shouting? Verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Just like that woman. You won't believe the work of God I just saw. Come and see. The Spirit of God falls on these disciples in the upper room, and all they can do is exclaim the mighty works of God. Verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying, what does this mean? At this point, I want the worship team to to come up. Um, Worship is intended to be a glimpse of heaven on earth where the true worship happens. And true worship in the truth of Christ is only revealed to us in our hearts by the supernatural work of the Spirit. So as the worship team is coming up, the Holy Spirit brings this gift of God, this, this well that springs up into eternal life is the gift of the Spirit and it is the very presence of God in our lives. And the truth of the gospel guides us to ensure that we are directing our lives Godward, that Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection made such a life possible for us. But this is important, okay, as we're getting ready. Worship is not an event, only an event, excuse me. Worship is not only singing. Sure, there's some of that. The kind of people God is seeking, it's a way of, worship is a way of life. God is not seeking people who will sing more to him, right? He's not seeking worshipers who will sing louder to him. He is seeking people who he can send his spirit to and say, you are mine. You are my son. You're my daughter and I got you back because I paid for all the stuff that had brought you far from me, and now I have you back in my arms. Guys, if there's anything to draw from this passage, it is this. Jesus wants you. I want you to, just to stop and just 
let that soak in for a moment. Whether you came as a seeker just asking questions or walking with Christ your whole life, I want you to once again look at that truth that God is seeking after you. He wants you. He is chasing after you. And we are to continually cultivate that, right? I, 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 my question here is like, do you want this? Do you want God? It's not a matter of God, please seek me. He is seeking you. And we have so many ways that we love to build up the defenses like this woman just kind of had all his defenses to kind of try to push him away time and time. And Jesus just kept going, kept going until he says, I am the Christ. God is seeking after you. And I know even the secrets of your heart. When are you going to just stop and just embrace me? Because I am after you and I'm telling you, God gets what he wants, and he will not stop until you are in his arms. And the further you run, the further you try to have those defensive kind of mechanisms, and you build, and you build, and you build, you're just making it more miserable for yourself. You don't have just those tormenting thoughts of just an unrest and an unpeace, just keep trying to fill something that God is saying, I'm the only person that can fill that. When are you, you going to stop? Because I'm seeking you. I'm seeking you to worship me. I'm seeking you to become mine. He wants to break those dams that may be quenching the waters of the Spirit. And so I want to just enter into a time of worship right now, which is coming off of Revelation 4, verse 8. If there's a, a time when we get a glimpse of heavenly worship, when, it, when, when people and angelic creatures are actually in the very throne room of God. And the proximity to God is absolutely physically, I mean, it's there. There's absolutely nothing that is separating anyone, these creatures, these angels, these people, and this heavenly vision that John saw. There's nothing that is separating them from God. What does that look like? Because that is what needs to be happening here in this church, in our own lives. And as they stand before um, uh, uh, heaven, it, it says that essentially God's spirit is there, it's filling the room as God is, is present on the throne. There are four living creatures, these crazy creatures, eyes, eyes all over, various animal-like uh, features, and there's so much other things happening. But these four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around them within. And it says, in day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We're going to sing this song now. And we're going to take communion after this, which will actually close our service today. We'll be available for prayer after communion if you'd like to come forward and receive prayer. My question for you is, God is offering and extending himself to you. And I truly believe if the church wanted this, like if you want it, it's yours. Like you, even this morning, you can have him in a fresh and bigger and meaningful way if you're willing to say, God, take all of me. I have a lot to do. I have a lot to work on in my life. There's a lot. My suitcase is big and my baggage is stuffed. 
but you know, right now, I, I, I want to have that disposition that's of worship that is, you know, the, the, the Greek word for worship there is one of, of falling down. It's a compound word. The first part means to fall down, just like laying. And the second is the Greek word for kiss, which means you're kissing the feet of the person you just fell before as a sign of affection. It's saying, I'm not worthy to even stand in your presence and I'm falling down, but I, I want to affectionately reach out to you and say, I, I, I want you and all I feel that I can do at this moment is just to kiss your feet. That's what that image of worship is. If you find in yourself just a willingness to even say that out loud, say, God, I want to be there in front of you, he's going to give you his spirit. And so, God, I pray as we sing this song, as we take communion, as we wrestle with this, Lord, if there's anybody in this room that's just, there's a hardness in their heart, Lord, that you want to just punch through, please do so this morning, Lord. Tear those things down, Lord. Ignite a flame within us of, of desire for you, Lord. Or for those that are seeking this morning, through your spirit, make yourself known right now, Lord, powerfully, supernaturally with the work that I or nobody else can do in this room that only you can do. Lord, make yourself known in their lives and in their hearts and in their minds right now. And Lord, I pray for Christians in this room who, who are walking faithfully with you. Lord, if, if, if even right now something is in their mind, some thought that they know there's this part of themselves that they just want to cling to on their own, that they don't want to release to you, Lord, Break through that, Jesus. Break through that, Lord. May this church become known as a place where broken people walk through. And Lord, you break through in their hearts, Lord. You break through the stony hearts and give the baby hearts to us, Lord. Help us to be desirous of that. So Holy Spirit, do your work this morning as we sing this song. In your name we pray, amen.
Hallelujah. Give a clap offering to the Lord.